Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's broadcast. My name is Alex Patterson. I'm the Executive Director of Canada 2020, and I am broadcasting uh, from Ottawa, which is the uh, traditional and unceded territory of the Algonquin, the Anishinaabe people. I want to thank you very much for taking some time to tune in today. Um, if you if this is the first event in this series that you have uh, tuned into, uh, there's plenty for you to catch up on. Uh, our Crisis to Resilience series has been stretching on for uh, a few months now. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but before I, I, I dive into our conversation today, I want to first and foremost, I want to thank uh, Canada 2020's sustaining partners. Uh, these are the companies and organizations who help us do what we do. Um, as a convener, it's been uh, it, it's been a, obviously a, a challenging but also creative uh, year, and these companies and organizations have been really committed to helping us uh, continue to grow and convene important conversations like this one. So I want to thank our, our sustaining partners. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, this event series that we've been doing, Crisis to Resilience, uh, we've this is actually event five um, in a series uh, that we've been doing. If you can catch up uh, on our YouTube channel, uh, on Facebook Live, if you also like to listen to stuff, I like to listen to stuff, uh, you can tune into our series on uh, the 2020 Podcast Network, um, search 2020 Network on your favorite podcast app, and you can listen to some of our past conversations on infrastructure with uh, Minister McKenna and um, people from the Biden uh, transition team, or on connectivity infrastructure, or... Um, in a really important conversation that we held last week around Indigenous economic reconciliation with Minister Miller and Indigenous leaders. So I encourage you to uh, to catch up. Um, today, though, uh, for many of you uh, joining us, um, this event actually was scheduled to take place earlier on in the year, but I, I'm actually kind of glad that we uh, have had a little bit more time because there is some news out of Ottawa today that I think we're going to be uh, able to sort of quick react to Ottawa's hydrogen strategy has been uh, announced. And I know that Anne and Minister uh, O'Regan are going to dive into that. But in general, uh, our, our Crisis to Resilience series is focusing on sort of key sectors in the Canadian economy, trying to address the uh, the shape and the size of, of the moment of crisis and how we can build greater resilience moving forward. When it comes to Canada's energy um, uh, energy sector uh, and our place in the global energy market, a lot of the challenges and a lot of the headwinds and indeed a lot of the opportunities preceded COVID and preceded the pandemic. Um, and so I think our, our, our conversations that we're going to have today are going to help us try to get at what about this moment has shaped those pre-existing challenges and opportunities and what is possible now uh, as we turn, uh, as we look forward to, to 2021. Uh, to help us do that, as as mentioned, we are going to uh, start our conversation with um, uh, a, a chat between uh, the Honorable Seamus O'Regan, Canada's Minister of Natural Resources, and the Honorable Anne McClellan, uh, former Deputy Prime Minister, Senior Advisor at Bennett Jones, and a member of the Canada 2020 Advisory uh, Council. Um, they're going to go for about 45 minutes, and then we have an excellent response panel, um, really a, a, a very cool and sort of sectorally diverse uh, response panel. We're uh, delighted to be joined by Teresa Redburn, who's the Senior Vice President of Commercial and Corporate Development at Imperial Oil. Scott Dodd, who's the Director of Business Development at Enbridge, Ga Enbridge Gas Distribution. I suspect he's going to have some things to say about the hydrogen strategy. Uh, Kim Rudd, who is a consultant with the Canadian Nuclear Association, but also former Ontario member of Provincial Parliament and former Parliamentary Secretary to the Minister of Natural Resources. 
Robert Horning, who's the president and CEO of the Canadian Renewable Energy Association, and our uh, very deft and um, uh, skilled moderator of that conversation is uh, Monica Gattinger, who is the director of the Institute for Science, Society, and Policy at the University of Ottawa. That's what we're going to get to. We're going to wrap this stream um, around 2.15 today. Uh, if you're tuning in, uh, please use the Zoom Q&A function throughout. Uh, or if you're watching on Facebook Live, you can use the Facebook Live chat to submit questions. I'll make sure that they get where they need to go. Um, with that, uh, Anne, I think I'm going to bring you in here. And sure. um, and we're gonna have a just a, a quick chat because yes, you um, you were a natural I think choice for 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 this conversation because you've done it before. We we had a conversation with Minister O'Regan really early on in the um, in the pandemic. Uh, you had a chance to talk about sort of early pillars of recovery. A lot's happened since then. There's been a lot of learning, a lot more perspective, and so as you prepared for this conversation, sort of talked about where you wanted to take it. Um, what were you thinking about? Well, I guess a, a few things, uh, Alex. One of the things, uh, yeah, uh, I chatted with Minister O'Regan six months ago. And what was our theme? Recovery. We had hoped that by now, no, uh, December 2020, we would be well into a recovery scenario. Um, clearly, what we're into <laughs> is uh, the second wave. And uh, I think it's a more serious uh, second wave, uh, a more severe second wave than any of us would have hoped for. Uh, fortunately, our governments at all levels, I think, have been generally well prepared for dealing with this second wave. We've got a vaccine rolling out, as we all know, and, and so on. But, you know, I think uh, thinking about in spite of the second wave, in spite of COVID, the work that is being done, um, the work that's being done by the private sector, for example, in the energy sector, but the work that's being done in government departments that are not directly related to COVID, like Minister O'Regan's, right? People, I think, might have an impression that somehow the world stopped and everything was about COVID all the time. And one of the things that I want Minister O'Regan to have the opportunity to talk about is the fact that that's not the case, that government does chew gum and walk at the same time, and that so much work has been going on in his department, especially around key uh, transformative elements of the energy space. And um, that's what I'm going to talk to him about when he joins us. I know he had a big announcement. Oh, he's with us. I he's here. He's I was here. about to say, he's here. Fresh uh, fresh off uh, a very important announcement. You've, Minister O'Regan, you've got a busy morning. Um, and we really appreciate you you joining. Um, so so thank you. Thank you very much for, for spending some time with us. Um, we've got a thing or two to talk about. Uh, yeah, today, which Sorry is, to keep which everybody waiting, great. Alex, but it was, yeah, it was our national hydrogen strategy and the press conference went a little late. But anyway, if anybody wants to talk hydrogen, I am fresh. So uh, I'll <laughs> well, leave that to you, Anne. But anyway, Alex. But Minister, you can tell that Alex and I were filling in time waiting for you to join us. <laughs> I in my life for 10 years every morning. Every, every technical difficulty or guest that didn't show up on Canada AM. My heart is with you. I appreciate it, Anne. We are so happy you showed up. <laughs> um, with that, Anne, I'm... 
take this. Yeah, take, take, take it from there. The one thing I would just say to our people tuning in and our room is filling up, which is great. If you just joined and you've got a question, there will be time for questions. Anne and uh, Minister O'Regan are going to chat for a bit, but they will get to some of your questions. Use the Zoom Q&A function or use Facebook live chat. We will get to it. Um, and we'll try to wrap this portion of this conversation up around, around 1.15. I think you guys have some hard stops. So Anne, uh, over to you. Thanks so much, Alex, and good morning, everyone, and welcome, and good morning, Minister. No one's happier to see you than I am. (laughs) But uh, before we get right into our conversation, let me remind everybody who's just joining that we are hosting an important discussion this morning, morning for me, afternoon for you, Minister, focused on Canada's energy sector which clearly needs to be resilient both for domestic and global purposes. But, Minister, one of the things that we're going to be talking about is what does resilience mean for the Canadian energy sector? Globally, we know that the energy sector is being uh, is going through a significant transformation, mm-hmm. driven by, among other things, clean technology, climate concerns, and increasingly, investor concerns. So, what does transformation look like for the Canadian energy sector? And what is the role of government in incenting the transformation, which almost everyone agrees is needed? These are just some of the big, broad themes that the Minister and I will be talking about today. So, Minister, again, welcome. And um, I know I know you've just had a major announcement this morning in relation to hydrogen. I think uh, hydrogen is directly related to uh, our uh, climate strategy. Um, and uh, maybe last week, everybody will remember the Prime Minister and your colleague Jonathan Wilkinson made a major announcement around Canada's climate plan. So before I let you go to hydrogen, sure. let me ask you about um, uh, one element of the climate plan, which of course always attracts the most attention, which is carbon pricing. And of course, uh, quite an aggressive carbon pricing plan out to 2030 um, announced last week. I'm just interested in what you're hearing, especially from the energy sector in terms of that. My guess is it didn't come as a particular surprise to key players in the energy sector. Virtually every economist, left, right, conservative, liberal, uh, believes that there has to be a price on uh, carbon to deal with climate change. The devil is probably in the details. Thoughts, things that you have heard over these past few days uh, from some of your uh, uh, key uh, energy sector uh, entities, people? Um, some some have confidentially um, <laughs> uh, told me very, very positive things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I believe in the market. Yeah. And I think if you believe in the market, you know, um, you, you gotta, you gotta embrace those principles. It's one of the reasons why, you know, so many economists did support a price on pollution. So you want to incent, you know, the, the innovation that this country has shown time and again in the energy sector. And, uh, and, and a price on pollution, you know, we have yet to see a more effective and more efficient means in which to do that. You know, it's, it's not often you get, you know, glowing editorials on your environmental policy from the Globe and Mail. But, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, frankly, I think it was accurate. 
you know, there are there's a lot of things that are already happening out there. Alana Alana Natchu is the mayor of Sturgeon County in Alberta. You know, said, look, you know, we know that uh, we can do hydrogen because we're doing it. We're already doing a lot in this country. Um, at the end of the day, what we what we want to do and what we need to do is lower emissions. When you put a price on carbon, uh, when you have a clean fuel standard, uh, you're doing an, a few things. You're, you're saying to you know our domestic suppliers and everybody, look, you know th- this is the way to go, and you will be rewarded uh, if you take this route. And you know investors needed to see that as well as you know to distinguish who's serious and who's not serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this and frankly, the other reason is the world's watching. The world is watching, um, most especially for uh, your province and for our number one export as a country, Canada, oil goes to really one customer. And that customer is about to change demonstrably come January 20th to the most ambitious environmentalist administration that the United States has ever seen. They are gonna be looking for a jurisdiction to supply them oil that it takes uh, lowering emissions seriously, that has an ambitious, but I believe realistic price on pollution regime in place. I can tell you because I, I, I'm working, uh, the, the Alberta government and, and uh, myself, Sonia Savage and yeah. James Rashad, your, your former colleagues, so Sonia Savage being the Minister of Energy for Alberta, James yeah. Rashad, uh, we, were, we were speaking just last night. Um, we need to work together on this. Um, we, you know, we, we, we were talking about how, you know, just learning some things on the ground. We know that, we know that the farm lobby and others uh, in the United States are speaking to the incoming administration about a clean fuel standard. Mm-hmm. So uh, regardless of where you fall on the political spectrum on this, it, it does not change the fact that your customer is about to change what it is going to be demanding. And the customer is always right. So we got to change. You know, that, that, that's, 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 that's number one. You've opened a bracket here uh, with the Biden administration, um, and quite clearly, uh, President-elect Biden has made it plain that uh, there's going to be fundamental change in terms of the U.S. position in relation to climate change, the environment more generally. First thing he's going to do, he says, is rejoin the Paris Accord. Uh, He's going to spend tens of billions of dollars in the clean tech sector. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should be a little worried that there's a bracket by American, but that's a topic others can talk about. Um, And I think we, to your point, we need to be ready to take that on and be, uh, I think, uh, positive, forward-looking partners with the Biden administration around climate change. Obviously, sitting here in Alberta, as I am, the Keystone Pipeline mm-hmm. is an issue for the Canadian energy sector, not just Alberta, but more generally, uh, the the Canadian energy sector. And I wonder, I mean, Mr. Biden was part of the Obama administration. They were very clear that they did not support Keystone. I know you, you've referenced your involvement with Alberta's rep in Washington, James Rajat. And I do know that the two of you have been working together. And maybe you'd like to say just a little bit more about that, because certainly uh, it is on some people's minds. Yeah, you know, I, I, I'm broadcasting to you from, uh, you know, a rock in the middle of the North Atlantic, and, and I grew up in a small town in the north, in, in Happy Valley, Goose Bay, Labrador. 
um, you, that causes you to have a very clear-eyed, practical, realistic view of the world. I don't. People here really don't have the luxury of uh, ideology. You deal with the world as it comes, as you see it. It's hard enough out there. Right? Um, just as a reminder, you know, uh, I'm Newfoundland and Labrador also is more dependent as a province on its oil uh, royalties than Alberta is. Uh, and yes. just, I look out the window here from my office and I see the supply ships heading out to the offshore vessels all the time. I'm constantly reminded of the importance of this industry to our country. Uh, Keystone XL was something that, you know, way back before the election, when he was leader of the Liberal Party of Canada, the prime minister, he strongly supported. Right. Uh, I can tell you, it didn't, it didn't get a whole lot of media. But, you know, this was something that he brought up with the president-elect in his first conversation with, yeah. with Joe Biden. Um, and it, you know, it, 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 he, he, you know, this is this is a priority for this government, being able to get our product to market as safely and as efficiently as possible is important. And oil will be with us for some time. TC Energy has done, I think, tremendous work. The the, the KXL pipeline of 2015 is not the KXL pipeline of 2020. Um, you know, they are talking about operationally hitting net zero. They are talking about uh, dealing with, with uh, working with First Nations on our side of the border, um, but, but working with tribes south of the border as well. Um, you know, they are, they, are, they are lining up all of these things, and most particularly, and I think that, you know, I'm not going to assume what, what the incoming administration thinks of these things, but I think that, you know, they are uh, very much pro-labor and had been working closely with unions, and TC Energy has been sure to work with unions on, on the construction of KXL south of the border. And, and that's, a, that's thousands of jobs. Um, so, you know, there is room here in this space. And I know that to a lot of people who look at it, who are on either side of the spectrum, they, they, they don't get how, you know, we can be talking about aggressively lowering emissions and yet, and yet you know, have the KXL pipeline. And I would say, as you know, we are, and we really have to, you know, it's something that I'm reminded of sitting in a, in a seat and, and when I got this job and uh, my predecessor, Jim McCarran Amarjeet so he said, you know, Seamus, we know that in your previous position, you, 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 met, you, you went to every corner of Canada as Minister of Indigenous Services. And, you know, I grew up in a small place in the north, so I love going to those places. They said, well, now, you know, as Minister of Natural Resources, it's going to be all Abu Dhabi and Vienna and Paris and, you know, these uh, highfalutin meetings with, uh, with other energy ministers from around the world in the G20. And I have attended all of those meetings and... <laughs> From right here. <laughs> yes. Uh, from St. John's. Yeah. Probably the first G20 meeting that was held in St. John's, at least partially. Um, and, and, you know, I, I can tell you that um, the, way that, the way that the world sees us is we are the fourth biggest producer of oil and gas in the world. Mm -hmm. And I am proud of that. We are. We became really good at it. What we were able to do two things I would say regarding oil. We managed to figure out a way to get oil out of sand and drive our way to the fourth biggest producers of oil in the world. Also, I would add, for my neck of the woods, uh, we managed to figure out how to get oil from the offshore. ExxonMobil says it is the harshest environment that they operate in anywhere in the world. Yeah. And yet we do it here. So now we need those same men and women who built this industry to put us in this place as the fourth biggest producers. We need them now to lower our emissions. We yep. need their expertise, we need their talent, we need their ingenuity, we need their determination. We have proven what we can do in the past, and now we need to do it. We need to pivot, 
And we need to take those industries and we need to lower our emissions. And we have to do that. We have to do that because of the moral imperative. We have to do that because of the existential imperative of combating climate change. And we have to do it for our future prosperity and for the future of our country. This is too important in industry. You know, it, we're, we're a country, there's no other democracy in the world that's blessed with the natural resources that we have. No other country in the world. And we are well positioned, you know, with, with the brains that we have to, to take it and to use it properly, responsibly, and lead the world. Now, time is moving on, Minister, and we must allow some time for questions. Yep. You and I could talk probably all day. And but- have. Um, obviously, if we're going to get to net zero by 2050, reducing carbon intensity of fuels is going to be key. So mm-hmm. here's your opportunity to talk about hydrogen yes. and the announcement you made today. And look, the country has been waiting for this announcement. I know here in my own province, we'll be announcing our hydrogen plan in the coming months. Yes. Um, we may be a little behind others in the world. Maybe I put that in with a question mark behind it. But uh, certainly the plan you announced today is the purpose uh, is to position us as a global leader, I presume, both in green and blue hydrogen. So uh, here's your chance, Minister. Tell everybody online what you said this morning. Well, I would I would argue, and if I may, that we are not behind. Now, okay. we might have been slightly behind other, other competitive countries in, in putting out a plan. But, you know, like I said, like uh, like Alana Natchu said, in the mayor of Sturgeon County, we're already doing it. And even more to the point, I think if you look at, um, you know, if you look at Randy McEwen, who joined me and president and CEO of Ballard, you know, I, I, I'm I am old enough to remember. <laughs> Riding in a hydrogen bus at Expo 86. Yeah. And I, you know, also rode around and there was a fleet of hydrogen buses in in Vancouver for the Olympics in 2010. In 2020, it is hydrogen's time has come. And Ballard is all over the world. It's one of many Canadian companies, but the leading Canadian company in in, uh, fuel cell batteries. And yeah, I, I was having a conversation with the uh, with the Danish ambassador to Canada a few months ago, and she just brought up the fact that all over the University of Copenhagen, Danish students are driving around and getting transported around in Canadian technology. Canada's driving them around. We are in many jurisdictions already. Uh, you know, Ballard is, I think, got 900 employees. Keep an eye on that, though. That is going to explode. So we're already doing it. What we needed was, you know, basically a plan. So we are working together, you know, energy, recognizing energy, of course, as a, as a provincial jurisdiction, that we are working with Alberta, that we're working with Quebec, which is, I think, I think going to have a tremendous opportunity to not only provide domestic hydrogen supply through hydrogen electricity, but we'll be able, to, I think, to be an exporter of green hydrogen mm-hmm. uh, and export. Um, yeah, and, and, and I think, frankly, the argument between blue versus green is a, is a false argument. Um, it, it really depends on the region of the country because we, what, at least right now, what we see is we'll be producing hydrogen close to where it'll be used. You know, we want to produce hydrogen yes. close to heavy industry, like a cement plant or steel operations, you know, these sorts of things in Sweden. I think they've got a facility that's now up and running that is run by hydrogen in this space. Um, or, you know, it might be a truck stop because we're looking at, at long, long range transport trucks, uh, you know, in transportation in places that are harder to electrify. That's where hydrogen fits in. Fits in. So it depends on where we are in the country. And, you know, it's the government of Canada. So, you know, we have to look at every part of the country and what's available to them. Blue, blue hydrogen, at least in the outset, is more akin, I think, to, to Alberta, green to Quebec. I think, you know, 
here in Newfoundland and Labrador, it would probably be green because of our of our you know surplus supply of hydroelectricity. Um, we also have massive natural gas uh, reserves available offshore. But I think green seems to be where things are going. It is important, though, you know, whether we are talking about you know everything you said, our climate plan, our hydrogen announcement, uh, the clean fuel standard, the price on pollution, that we allow the market to work. It is the the most sustainable way. To, make, to see this change through is allowing the market to work. And, and if anybody makes the argument that the market has been a laggard here, I would, I would say take a look at what's happened since the spring, how quickly uh, the market has moved, not only in terms of, of, of investment, uh, well, mainly I would argue in terms of investment, where, where people are putting the money. This is something that was happening beforehand. I mean, I, I was out in Calgary meeting with Sonia Savage and some of the um, you know, brighter minds in the oil patch talking about, you know, the fact that BlackRock, as the largest private investor in the world, was divesting itself of Canadian energy, of Canadian, I should say, oil, particularly Alberta and Saskatchewan. And, and you know, that that's a huge issue. And and nobody's going nobody's to accuse, you know, Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan and Morgan Chase and, you know, Morgan Stanley, sorry, of, of, uh, of, of, you know, being necessarily tree huggers per se, they're out to make money. They see what direction things are moving in and they move quick, blindingly quick for governments. So, you know, uh, we gotta, I keep quoting the great one on this, but you got to skate to where the, where the puck is going. Uh, yeah. And we have to do that. You know, you mentioned the export opportunities uh, in Quebec, which are very real, especially in the northeastern U.S. with blue, uh, green hydrogen. I think Alberta sees a strategic opportunity with blue hydrogen, but we're going to need some infrastructure investment into export markets like Japan and South Korea. They're already planning, they're budgeting for uh, importation of hydrogen as part of their climate change initiatives uh, and energy strategies going forward. So I think there are lots of moving pieces with hydrogen, Minister, and it's going to be key for federal, provincial governments and industry to work together to make sure uh, the pieces aren't all just flying off in different directions, but that we have a cohesive, coordinated plan. Well, just to bring up transport quickly, and um, Saudi Arabia just sent its first shipment of blue hydrogen to Japan. Um, yeah. I, I, I make the argument that Canada is really at the heart of the G7 between coast and coast and coast, and with a you know with our, obviously our border with, with with the world's largest economy in the United States. But as you point out, we've got the west west coast that is so close to to Asia, and then and then here on on my side, we're so close to the European Union. Um, you know, and, and, and the way that they're ramping up and started ramping up on hydrogen in the spring and early summer um, positions them not only as a competitor of ours, and I think that that's healthy, um, but it also, you know, especially for exporting companies like Ballard that already have a, a foothold in, in the European market. But uh, they're also going to be a customer. That's the bottom line. I mean, they don't have the natural resource capacity that we have in this country. Now, Minister, I do have to go to a few questions. Here's the first one from an organization you know well, the Canadian Fuels Association. Uh, we've uh, Their question, we've heard a lot of concern about the impact of carbon pricing on the competitiveness of the Canadian energy sector. But I was wondering if you could speak a bit about where you see Canadian energy having an advantage over our international competition, both now and potentially in the future? Boy, that's a big question, Minister. Take any part of that you want. 
what you want to do when what what you want to do is incent lower emissions and you want companies to you know be, be able to have uh, have have a clear understanding of where that price is going to go so that they can make the investments that they need to make to make sure that they make more money you know or that they make money anyway i mean that's what we want to see happen I would also make the argument, too, that, you know, uh, if we don't stay on top of this, particularly now, especially now that we see a change in government of the United States and and, uh, and we and, and Joe Biden becoming president in the agenda on which he ran very clearly, yeah, very, um, very, very clearly. There was no, you know, the, so, you know, the, the, the American population, despite all the drama that we've seen over the past number of weeks, they made a clear choice. Uh, and and so things are going to change with their number one customer and their number one competitor. Um, I don't know whether or not they will be, uh, you know, going ahead with their own price on pollution. Um, they may, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of obviously, you know, how this goes. And I mean, we will have to see how Georgia goes with its senatorial race, whether or, you know, whether or not, um, you know, how much of a, a hold, how much, how ambitious Joe Biden and his administration can be. Yeah. We, we're not quite clear on that yet. We know he can do, you know, quite a bit by executive order, and we know that he's got a way in Congress. We definitely know what direction he's heading in. We've got to head in the same direction. Um, if, you know, if the price on pollution will incent people, to, when incent companies to make the right investments so that on an international scale, and especially with the United States, we will be strongly competitive. Here's another question, a uh, favorite topic of yours, I think, uh, in relation to the importance of nuclear going forward. If the world is going to deal with climate change and if we are going to meet our net zero goals of um, uh, net zero by 2050, um, I know you have uh, your supporter of the nuclear industry. It's uh, in the interests of full disclosure. I sit on the board of Cameco. So uh, this is an area where I and the company are particularly interested. But um, SMRs are, mm -hmm. are perceived as um, uh, the new, if you like, real potential for development and growth in uh, the nuclear energy space. Uh, I wonder, Minister, again, I, uh, you, your department and the government of Canada have been leaders with a number of the provinces, New Brunswick, Ontario, Saskatchewan, for example, in terms of looking at research and development around SMRs and the potential in our own country, in the north, in remote communities, but also uh, obviously marketing uh, that technology around the world. Exactly. Uh, any, uh, what, uh, where are we at? Where do you think we're at? I mean, obviously, anything involving nuclear is a long, a long-term proposition. But uh, where are we at? Well, I'm not going to scoop myself. I will just say that our, our SMR uh, strategy is going to come out, uh, I'd almost say momentarily. Uh, it, it will be okay, very, we've got another big announcement coming this week. Is be, that what you're saying, Minister? It, it will be very soon. Um, okay. uh, and I'm very, I am very excited about it. Look, um, you know, I, I didn't know much about SMRs until I took, uh, took hold of this, of this position as Minister of Natural Resources. Nuclear zero emissions. Zero emissions. Um, you know, um, we have we have a responsibility, I think, to look at, at at some incredible innovation that is happening in this small modular reactor space. 
So, you know, nuclear, you know, has, it's, it's very capital intensive, certainly the reactors that we've absolutely, um, you know, get back, getting back to, you know, the question I answered earlier, just talking about reputational risk and making sure that we, you know, we are seen, we are not seen as environmental laggards, which by we are not, but we don't want to take the chance on an, on, on reputational risk. We got to make sure that we stay ahead of this and we are seen, we are both in fact, and are also seen lowering our emissions as the fourth biggest producer of oil in the world. But there, we also have a, a tremendous reputation as a tier one nuclear energy country. Yes. Um, you know, CANDU has stood the test of time and we continue to improve it. Um, so now that, you know, the same brains that have brought us that are now working on small modular reactors, which are obviously by, by virtue of their size, smaller um, and therefore cheaper. Um, uh, but but there, we are looking at models now that would not just minimize nuclear waste, but in some case recy- in cases, recycle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a bit of a game changer, um, because that is one of, you know, one of the biggest concerns, uh, for many Canadians, uh, is a safety and B waste. So, you know, the models that we are looking at would, if not minimize, you know, almost close to eliminate that waste, which is extraordinary. And they are also, these are also far safer than even what I would argue are still tremendously safe nuclear reactors, um, we, we would, I think the way we envision is we would start out in brownfield sites. We would begin, you know, looking at, uh, you know, industrial uh, capacity. But, you know, there is a vision for this. Uh, as somebody who grew up in the north and knows how many northern communities, you know, rely on diesel power, um, you need, we definitely envision renewables uh, as, we, as we're working right now to get these communities off of, off of diesel or at least minimize the use of diesel. But, you know, people require reliable base, base load. Like that, that you know, they yes, absolutely, absolutely need that. And that works hand in glove with renewables. Right. Um, uh, you know, have, having said that, though, one of the interesting things that has come out, I think, as of many interesting things, uh, interesting things that have come out um, as we as we watch COVID is the reliability of smart grids, which is good, which is good for emissions. So, you know, the way these smart grids work is depending on usage and demand, they automatically go to the cheapest source. Renewables are always the cheapest source, right? Always, whether it's, you know, particularly solar and wind. Um, but, you know, whether or not that, that switcheroo, uh, particularly we're watching in Europe, w- whether that works well or not, it does work well. It still requires a base power. But what, what I'm saying is it, it, that's very good news for renewables. It just means that everything has to work together. And I keep making speeches that saying, you know, we can't get to net zero without yeah. oil and gas. We can't get to net zero without SMRs. And we can't get to net zero. And I mean all of it. We can't get to net zero without all of them. And, you know, and particularly at this stage of the game where we're setting our goals, uh, we cannot afford to turn our back on anything, whether it be blue hydrogen, green hydrogen, um, you know, SMRs and the one, you know, and the ones that everybody loves, obviously, wind, solar. And another great question for you, and time is passing. How will carbon capture, utilization and storage play a role in Canada's energy future? Does your government have any plans to roll out a national strategy, a CCUS strategy, with concurrent federal investment? similar to the hydrogen strategy announced today. So you and I have talked in the past about carbon uh, capture and storage. Uh, Obviously, again, something the world is really starting to pay attention to as we bear down on, uh, as the world bears down on climate. So uh, what do you have for us there, Minister? Uh, It is a big priority for a whole host of reasons. 
Uh, it works hand in glove with our oil and gas industry in capturing carbon. It works hand in glove. Obviously, that's how we get blue hydrogen is, you know, we're using natural gas, but we're sequestering uh, the carbon that, that's emitted. Um, so it is carbon capture is essential. Um, we are working particularly with Alberta, um, two of the top, uh, I think, 20 carbon capture um, uh, uh, projects that are that are currently under development are, are happening in Alberta. Um, and Alberta will be coming out with its own strategy and we'll be working hand in glove with them on, on a carbon capture uh, strategy. Um, you know, it, it, it is essential. It is essential. And, and, you know, there are a whole host of technologies that, you know, uh, companies I think will be looking at and investing. We just need to make sure that we incent those properly uh, so that we see investments from, you know, from the oil patch and across the country. Uh, we also have to make sure that the right financial incentives are in place. The Americans are actually uh, very good at this. And, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we, we incent these companies here in Canada because we don't want to lose that expertise. We've got tremendous expertise in this area. Point being, it is absolutely essential to the future. And I just remind everybody that when we talk about net zero, you know, it is net, right? It's the, the key word yeah. really here is net. Yes. Uh, yeah. And that's why carbon capture is so important because you can have some emissions and obviously we want to listen to them as much as we can. But if you can sequester them, uh, you know, you are in fact reaching net zero. So they're essential. Um, maybe not an announcement uh, of a major federal strategy with investment right away. Is that what uh, I would? I am, as a former reporter, it, it would <laughs> hardly be becoming of me to scoop myself. So I'll leave that alone. Anne. But all okay. that to say, it is a big priority. I don't think, you know, there's no getting around it. And, now and we just, uh, I was talking about it with, uh, you know, Minister Savage uh, just yesterday. Um, now, you've talked a lot about your relationships with, the provinces and maybe one question look um the media and i'm not criticizing my friends in the media nope. but they like to accentuate conflict and confrontation uh in the energy space we've seen a fair bit of that over the years even when i was minister of natural resources going back to the mid 90s but you i would say more than any minister of natural resources in recent memory uh Talk positively about your relationships with your with your provincial counterparts, working with them, coordinating with them, collaborating with them. Um, I should I, I would hope that Canadians would see that as a really positive development in federal provincial relations. And I just you know I giving you a shout out. I know you've worked hard at that, but maybe comment on that because too often we focus on the the confrontational headline as opposed to all the work you are doing in particular with your provincial and territorial counterparts. Uh. A, a quick story. I was um, I was I had just been sworn in as Minister of Natural Resources and was still in Rideau Hall and hadn't even appeared in front of the media yet uh, when we uh, when we you know were forming the government uh, back in November and everybody was getting sworn in. And a mutual friend had given uh, Sonia Savage, the Alberta Minister of Energy, um, my uh, my number. So she texted me and said, "Congratulations, Minister. When are you coming out to Alberta?" And I texted back, "How about tomorrow?" Um, and uh, we had a cabinet meeting the next day. I would have gone that night, actually, except we had a cabinet meeting that day. And uh, I knew it was imperative, particularly after that last campaign, that we had to we you know, we had to do better. And um, you know, not only because national unity in our country 
uh, demands that of its federal government, um, but also because this industry is just way too important. It is too big and it is too important. And I just think, you know, I, I you know, my family, my friends, I mean, everybody here in, in Newfoundland and Labrador, we are deeply affected by the oil industry. As I said, I mean, we're more dependent on it than Alberta, if you can believe it. We are. And, and not only that, but, you know, I'd say Newfoundland had a fair hand in building Alberta uh, as, an oil, as an oil power. There's certainly enough people flying between St. John's, Toronto, Toronto, Calgary. We, we had there for a good while uh, a flight to Fort McMurray from Toronto. We also had a flight uh, from St. John's uh, right to Edmonton. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, you, you'll, you'll see, you know, the plane is filled uh, with, with workers. I'm, I'm hardly, I, I join a long-standing tradition of Newfoundlanders who fly back and forth to Alberta. Uh, Alberta and Saskatchewan, um, you know, in, in working in the oil sector. We know what we're doing. You know, um, this is a deeply important issue for me as a result. Uh, I know it's important and I don't have time for foolishness, as my grandmother would call it. Um, you know, if you are the minister, I don't care what your political persuasion is. If you were the minister of energy for Alberta, if you were the minister of energy for Saskatchewan, BC, Ontario, I am going to work with you because that's what I got to do. That's the job. That's what that's what Canadians expect. And I think cementing that, to be honest, in this pandemic, um, I think that, that that expectation has even been more heightened. So, no, it doesn't it doesn't make copy. It doesn't make Twitter. Um, I was really quite taken by the fact that, you know, the prime minister made a point of bringing up Keystone XL with with President elect Biden. Yeah. And it didn't make any any noise whatsoever. If he hadn't, it certainly would have. But yeah. he did. Um, as, as he said he would do. And, and we have, you know, he, is, he has asked me to follow up and work with the Alberta government to make sure that we have a Team Canada approach south of the border. You know, Anne, as former Deputy Prime Minister, you know how our trading partners, most especially the United States, uh, you know, uh, are ve they're very good at what they do at the negotiating table. And one of the first things anybody would do at the negotiating table was try and find light between the people on the other side of the table. I don't want there to be any light as we deal with, with, with the United States going through this change. I don't want there to be any light between us if I can help it. So, you know, when, when last week, last Tuesday, the Canadian embassy in Washington had a big you know, conference on continental energy security, James Rashad, the Alberta envoy to yeah. Washington and myself appeared together and may, and staked out the Canadian position together. You know what, Minister? I am getting the high sign from our controller back in uh, Ottawa, Alex, but uh, let me say... Is Ottawa I, telling you what to do? I, uh, people have learned they shouldn't try that, but hey. Uh, but you know what? I can't imagine a better note on which to end this conversation. Uh, because we're all looking for light, we're all looking for hopefulness and positivity as we deal with uh, this second wave of uh, COVID. And I think what you've just said about your commitment to working uh, uh, with your uh, provincial and territorial colleagues and how important that is if we're all going to get to a better place, energy will fuel our future prosperity. And we need to be a domestic leader. We need to be doing the right things at home and the right things around the world. And that means you and your colleagues at other level uh, in the provinces and the territories are going to have to work together. And I just think it's such a great note in this holiday season on which to end. So on behalf of all Canadians, I say thank you. Thank you for your approach to your job and your commitment to making government work. Okay. And I think with that, Alex is going to pull the plug on both of us, Minister. Okay.
uh, yeah, I was scared to come off mute there uh, and uh, <laughs> and intervene because the conversation was, uh, I think, and as you said, it ended on a, a perfect place, and it's a nice segue into our response panel, um, Minister O'Regan. Um, just while I have you, there are lots of questions that we didn't have time to get to. We'll make sure that we send those to your office, and yeah. um, and if you're able to engage, that's great. Um, and always a pleasure. Great job leading the conversation, Minister O'Regan. Congratulations on getting that announcement out the door today. We know how much work is involved, um, and thank you very much for spending some time with us uh, today. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Nelson. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.